Welcome back to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Drew Shulman. And I'm Marie Vigourou. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 6, Episode 1, Exile on Main Street. Let's get this show back on the road. So you may have heard in our pregame episode, but if you're listening to this episode, it means that our Etsy store is now live. And not only do we have our glow in the dark Impala pin still available, but we also have our Kansas slide tote. And I'm really just so excited about this tote. It's super high quality. We designed it in-house and the printing happened like right here in Montreal. And as a tote bag girly, I am just in love with it. It is so cool. I like can't wait to get my hands on it. Like I am so excited i've never had a good tote oh my god this will be your best tote best one the one that i have from vin papillon i have used every week for the past seven years it's been in the washing machine it's been in the dryer it's excellent quality as soon as i saw it i love this like kind of like theme to our like merch we have going on And I will admit, I'm not the brightest tool in the shed. I did have to ask for the joke to be explained to me. But as soon as I understood what the (laughs) tote was saying, I love it. Yeah, I mean, it's the idea that like, you know, Kansas said that there, Kansas the band said, there'll be peace when you're done. And yet the show is done. And uh, there is no peace. There is no peace. It's supernatural. So Kansas lied. Chef's kiss. So season six. Well, so, okay, first off, I really have to say that I did not remember this episode ending the way that it did. I didn't remember it ending this way. And I think I'm mixing up uh, episode one and two. I literally wrote all my notes for our pre-episode before I even watched episode one. So I wanted to go in as blind as possible to that description. And again, recording this, have not seen episode two. So I really just have the cutoff here of this kind of like, I'm going to be honest very meh episode like despite what it does it's a very bland episode to be fair to this episode i think that it had to be because i think that like it's setting up so much stuff they couldn't spend too much time on the actual monster of the week or even on everything else because look look at all of the things that happen in this and the the literal cultural resets that happens they put the emphasis on that there's also a lot of uh, character development in terms of Dean. Like we're seeing a lot of like what he's been through in the past year. So I think that those were the focus of this episode. And in that sense, like I'm not mad at it, but I agree with you that it wasn't very exciting. This feels to me like they would have had to have aired these two episodes together for the sake of the audience having to wait since season five. I feel like just this episode as a season premiere would have been really like, eh. and like shows tend to do that thing where they kind of show the first two episodes of a season at the same time. Yeah, sadly, that's not what happened because the other, the next episode aired the week after. Well, that was a, that's a, must be a bummer. I feel bad anyway to watch this one live, but uh, I mean, like, always I'll do my recap. But like, I feel like what I have rushing through my head for a recap sounds more exciting than it was to watch. <laughs> okay, well, how about you get us started with the recap? Count me down. Three, two, one, go. Dean is living a normal life. Dean is happy. He has 
I don't think they're married, so I'll say like wife in air quotes, and a kid, and a normal life, and he's working, but he still kind of dreams about all these things in his past life, because obviously it's been a year, and he still misses all this, and it's all still fresh, and it hurts, and you can see that even in his living a normal life, he still has like the demon trap under the door, and the gun under the bed, and the tools where he needs them, like, you know, he's he's out, but he's not forgotten. And then something weird starts happening, he's hunting something again, uh, it may have been a possum, uh, which is his fake lie, because lying, of course, and of course his lie is terrible, so possums don't carry rabies, fun fact. Uh, and then it turns out it's Jin's, and it turns out Sam is back, and then it turns out their grandfather Samuel is back, and they're hunting together along with three of their cousins from Mary's side of the family, they never knew existed, we didn't even know they existed. Um... And then they fight the Jinns, they win, and Sam's all like, you should come with us and hunt. And he's all like, no, you kind of threw me into this whole life with, you know, Lisa and Ben. I can't just abandon them. Bye, Sam. Also, Bobby's there and Bobby knew too. Time. Like, that sounds like it should be more exciting than it was. I'm going to argue that it's it's meant to be this way because this entire thing is about, I feel like also a lot of this episode is about like expectations not being met. And I feel like that in and of itself is an expectation that's not being met in the sense that like this should be a lot more exciting than it is the same way that like Sam and Dean's reunion should have been a lot more exciting than it is for some reason, right? Like there was something off there. Obviously, there's the giant elephant in the room, which is the whole Samuel capturing the Jin and giving that look to camera, which... I had to rewind. I will admit I watch it in broad daylight and in my room I have poor lighting. And for a split second, I thought I saw yellow eyes on Samuel. I didn't. I double checked. I was crazy. But the look he gives to camera, you could see where they were going to animate the demon eyes and didn't. In terms of the long game. Yes, sorry. Continue. I cut off. This episode happens one year after the events in Swan Song. Like you said, Dean is living with Ben and Lisa, and boy, do we have stuff to talk about there <laughs> in story time. We find out, like you said, that Sam is back from hell, and it's been a whole year. I thought that it was really cute that he took the time to prove to Dean that it was really him, which was kind of like a callback to Lazarus Rising, where Dean had to prove to Sam that it was really him. That was at least a cute moment of like the, I know how this game works, let me go through the motions for you. Cass hasn't been answering Sam's prayers. But Dean never mentions whether he's been praying or even trying to get a hold of Cass. We meet a bunch of Campbell relatives. Of course, they're like third cousins and stuff because like we had been told in previous seasons that all of John and Mary's friends and family had died. Yeah, like this within the realm of possibility that there may be some distant cousins they didn't know about like that. Not crazy. Samuel is back. And he makes a really interesting promise to Dean. He says, stick around and I'll show you tricks your daddy never even dreamed of. It makes sense from a storytelling perspective. The fact that John was very like, yes, he connected to other hunters. And yes, there were some moments of sharing stuff, I'm sure. But we've already gotten from his journal that he may have not been the most adept hunter. And I feel like a hunter who was raised by hunters and also had to raise other hunters probably has a much wider breadth of knowledge and a much deeper well to pull from. We also know that John didn't play well with others, and so, like, like you have no other knowledge base to tap into when you're always hunting by yourself. So, you know, like, the Campbells kind of seem like they've been doing this as, like, a team, as a clan almost. For sure, the knowledge base is going to be wider. Bobby knew that Sam was back. How do we feel about that? That was one of my preferred moments this episode. I was like, I was waiting for Sam to walk in just so I could be like, I want to see how Bobby reacts. And like, I was hoping for the fake out of like, oh, Sam. like, oh, Bobby, don't even try it. But no, and it seems like 
again, we'll dig into it in story time because I feel like there's a lot to be said there about this whole lying to Dean thing about Sam being back and how everyone was kind of in on it. There's a lot to unpack there, but I don't hold it against anyone as much as I do Sam himself. Oh, okay. Interesting. We'll, we'll, we'll get into it. So Samuel and the Campbells capture one of the Jinn, and they do that while the Winchester brothers aren't around to see it. Combine this with the fact that we are, um, it felt like a weirdly throwaway line, but like it stuck out to me so much this episode. And I believe it's Samuel who's describing it as like seeing werewolves on the half moon and like creatures just being more daring. Like There seems to be this like the sense it evoked in me was the rules have gotten looser. Like the paranormal energies of things like where normally a werewolf would need a full moon, suddenly half a moon is enough because there's just extra energies around. Like, it, it's almost like the the veil between worlds is getting thinner, to pull reference from another uh, Supernatural-themed show some listeners might be listening to. I was going to say, I'm like, that sounds a lot like Bridgewater. <laughs> <laughs> That's where Castiel is. That's where he is. He's in Bridgewater. With not Nathan Fillion. <laughs> <laughs> With not Nathan Fillion. <laughs> Maybe he's at the pavilion. <laughs> the civilian pavilion Dean decides to stay with Lisa and Ben even though Sam asks him to come back into hunting again I have incredible feelings about this we'll have to save for story time because I will rant too much well I mean we're there let's dive in so today in story time our theme is respite and respite actually comes from a Latin word uh, that originally meant we're back we're all the way back with Latin words and everything and that word originally meant um, to consider something, to look back at something. And today it's mostly used as like, to mean like a break or a grace period. Yeah, I think the interesting part here was hearing the word respite. It's one of those words I actually like, I do know the origin was nice to learn, but like I had a very comfortable understanding of it. And I think you put it here really well because I didn't know how to really like word it properly, but it really does feel like a break or a pause versus like being done with something. Like it's not like, like I would not consider retirement a respite from work because the intention of that would mean you're only taking a temporary break. So when everyone talks about, and I think the big core thing here is Dean's big break in getting out of hunting, to think of it as respite is with the intent that he will have to return to it. Otherwise, it's not a break. It would be a retirement. Or a... So there's a better word to use than retirement in the sense of hunting, but, like, it'd be a permanent out. This is... It, the idea here is it. everyone kind of feels like it's a break. I think it's especially true for Dean uh, when he tells Bobby, like, do I look like I'm out? You know, like when Bobby is like, oh, you were out, you were out. I didn't want to pull you back in. And Dean is like, do I look like I'm out? And I think that this really kind of shows that like it was a temporary break. Like there was, it, he wasn't really done with hunting, right? Yeah. So if we can dive into Dean for a bit, I'd love to just like dig in because I have so many thoughts about this. But it really seems like Dean's respite is very clear he's had a year off from hunting and while we can see he's still being incredibly cautious with complete understanding like i i think there's like a tendency to like look at it as like oh he's being paranoid but like no no, no. when you know there's shit out there and you're taking the reasonable steps to protect yourself 
that makes sense. And we also learn after he reconnects with Sam that he never really stopped. He'd been researching ways to save him despite promising Sam that he wouldn't. And clearly he's been like, the, the brain never stopped. You know, while it was a break from physically hunting and fighting, he never truly left it behind. A year isn't that long when you consider how many years he's been doing this. In this episode, like Dean is the exemplification of what it looks like to live with trauma. Even though his life is no longer traumatic, he still relives all of those traumatic moments, even in like the banality of daily life in suburbia. And I think the intro sequence did a really good job at showing that. Fully. Like, I think just making all those parallels, um, I also feel like there's a moment that is played very like, uh, again, it feels like it could have been a bigger deal, but they had to like make room for other things was his moment when he's looking at the police scanner and talking to another cop on the phone. That that's It's been a year. He's been doing this nonstop. This is not the first time Lisa's caught him, you know, like, side hustle hunting. Because how do you stop? And it all this to say, it really feels like this break was forced on Dean. You know, like, not to say he doesn't enjoy it, not to say he's not happy, He's someone who is still willing and wanting to work, forced to retire because he's, like, been, like, sent off to pasture. Like, it feels like he was sent off versus him choosing to walk away. And, you know, knowing that Sam has had an entire year and has been back and things could have been back to normal and he was not given the option, everyone sort of chose for him, you know, that's gotta hurt and I understand why that would hurt. You know, why should everyone else go back to normal and he's forced to sit out thinking his brother is gone forever? And then to top that all off after it's finally revealed that Sam is back and they're hunting again and life is back to normal, everyone but him, Sam has the bloody balls to just say, oh, you should come back hunting with us. You stuck him on the bench and basically said, you need to like protect these two people now because you dragged them into this. Hey, forget them. Come back and see me. Like, no. What the fuck? That definitely felt like a change in Sam's approach, right? In that moment. And I think that there's like two things in what you just said. Like the first thing is the idea that like Dean's respite is like living the life that he has with with Lisa and Ben. Which like, sure, it was respite in the sense that like it was a break from hunting and from the trauma that he was constantly enduring. But I would be really hard-pressed to say that Dean is happy in this situation. Like, the man that we saw on screen in this episode is not a happy person. Like, he's not satisfied, he's not fulfilled, and he's definitely not at peace. He's drinking every night. His interactions with Lisa also feel, like, forced or masked. Like, I'm not too sure exactly how to describe it very concisely. Um, It's like, almost he doesn't allow himself to be himself around her, if that makes sense. Um, Like you said, he's also like on the police scanners talking to police officers that he's like, oh, yeah, no worries, man. Like, it sounds like they're buddies in a way that like even him and his drinking buddies aren't buddies, you know, like he looks bored at his job, is in his friendships. And it really feels like the only moments where he looks relatively happy is actually with Ben. And I, I really think that this is super powerful and important but you can't really be building a life with somebody on those terms. Like it's unfair to everybody involved. And I think that Dean is feeling that. And I think that he feels the guilt of it too. And I think that he lives a life of isolation basically because of all this, like not in the way that he did before, 
But here it really feels like he's living in this sort of like glass house and like no relationship is really real the way that his relationship were real with Bobby, Sam, and Cass. You really touched on it well here. And the thing to me that really stands out is that the you're right, the moments he seems the most himself are when he's like sneaking around. And like, reminder that Lisa knows what happened. Like, he may have not gone into detail and talked to her about it because we know Dean is not the greatest at sharing his emotions and I think would have wanted to protect her. But it's not like she's dumb. Like, she's aware he's a hunter and there's things out there. Like, she's first-hand experienced this stuff. I would understand her being worried about Dean, still kind of, like, pseudo-hunting by, like, reporting things or, like, keeping in touch with Bobby, and at least, like, you know, hey, like, are you okay? Let me be supportive. But the fact that he feels like he has to hide it from her is the problem. When she is the one person who probably would at least understand how hard it is to walk away from that life. But he's not doing this for himself. He's doing this for the people who think this is what he wants. And I think that that's really what it comes down to in the end. Like he does not feel like he can be himself, or at least he doesn't allow himself to be himself with Lisa. And I mean, like you can't really build a relationship with, with that kind of attitude, in my opinion, or like a, a relationship that's going to be fulfilling for both people and lasting. And then the second thing, like you said, I think is the revelation that Sam had been back for a year and Bobby had known the whole time. And I think that that really slams Dean in the face the way that it does, at least, in part because all of the suffering and isolation that he's been feeling was basically for nothing. Like, think about it. The only reason that he's with Lisa right now is because Sam asked him to. And we talked about this in Swan Song, about like how Dean was going to Lisa because he felt like it was the right thing to do. And I think that we're looking directly at what happens when you stay in a relationship because you think it's the right thing to do. And I really want to be fair to Dean because I, I really think that he thinks, or at least he thought, that this situation would be healing for him, right? Like, I don't think that he's purposely being unavailable or, you know what I mean? Like just not as present as he could be. But I also think that he underestimated like the depth and the magnitude of his trauma and he overestimated his feelings for Lisa. He was encouraged to try something or to give it a shot. And rather than like learn from the experience and figure out what to do next, he just settled because this is what everyone told you. It almost feels like, um, I mean, I was very much raised in that way where it was like, you go to school, you finish school, you get a job. Like the idea of me dropping out of school was like the ultimate betrayal to my family. And it wasn't until I got through it and realized like, oh, no, school wasn't for me. I was successful. I found a job. I found love. I found a life. I moved on that I was able to look back and go like, Oh, no, no, I was right. They were wrong. But I feel like so many people, like I have friends who were forced to go through school and they did good, but they weren't any better or happier for it. They just did it because that's the way the family runs. 
And I think this is where Dean is. He's doing what he is told is supposed to be the right move. You did your hunting job. You finished. You get the white picket uh, fence with the wife and the kid and the beers and the job and the nine to five and you win. But that's not what Dean wants. And so this is what brings me to say that I think his respite in this episode was actually hunting. Oh. I'm going to be very honest, I I saw this line as we got to it, and it just gave me such like a warm, fuzzy feeling of like, I hate how good this is. <laughs> and I want to be clear, because that's not to say that I don't think that Dean wants to retire, right? That's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying that these circumstances are not the right ones for him. Like, I could see Dean retiring maybe not in this style with a nice house and a wife and a kid but i could see him understandably stepping down from hunting and taking a somewhat more bobby like role in another hunter's life and not going out on the job because he understands he's reached a point where he's not at the top of his game anymore he's ready to sit back and relax and be the guy in the chair no pun intended with bobby there using the marvel term here rather than being the guy on the field You know, he can retire at his own pace. But there you go, on his terms. And I think that that is the most important part. I think that Dean wants to retire on his terms. And I think that those were not his terms. And we've talked about this in Swan Song. So this is not like a surprise for anybody, right? That's why I'm not really harping on it. But like, this is not what he wanted, really. And we're seeing it. It's very clear throughout the episode. What are your thoughts about Sam? Sam's respite here, there's a very like obvious service level one, which is, well, we all kind of assumed would be a lifetime or eternity in a cage in hell. Uh, so to get out of it, what seems like maybe after a day, maybe a few hours, seems like a pretty good break from what was supposed to be eternity. And again, mysteriously freed and rather quickly. Yet he still chooses to leave Dean in the dark. In a sense, not to interrupt his brother's supposed freedom from hunting. Which, again, I've already harped on. It seems silly to me. To think he could come back and just go back to normal after revealing himself to Dean too, I think is even sillier. You know, this really is a case of Sam wanting his cake and eating it too. He thought he had a chance to give his brother freedom, gave it to him, and then as soon as things change for him, he goes, actually, I want you back. Like, your break's over. Come back to hunting life. You know, like, I got through this, I'm fine, why aren't you? So I, I completely agree. Like, it's it's very, very clear that, like, Sam's respite here was actually being able to leave the cage when he wasn't really meant to or supposed to. Still not too sure how that happened, but it happened. He's here. And I think that there's, you know, the change of circumstance. Because that's the thing. Like, Sam has had a whole year to kind of think about this. Whereas Dean has had, like, a grand total of 10, 15 minutes. So... It's it's normal for maybe Sam to have had time to change his mind, whereas Dean would not necessarily, especially now that he feels even more responsible for Ben and Lisa for having put them in the situation of having been around them and having like basically revealed their identity, you know, so now he has to stay with them because he is responsible for them. And it feels so like weirdly out of character for Sam. We think of Sam at the ends of season five, when really all he wanted to do was save the day and like see his brother happy. And here he is 
understandably breaking into Dean's life in a moment of, I have to save you, you're about to die. Like, it wasn't like it was surprise, I'm back, let's have a party. It was like, we tried to keep you out of this, but when we realized you were in danger, I'd have to reveal myself to you. So, hey, I'm here, surprise. It feels like up until the last moments of this episode, like really, when he turns around to Dean and says, you should come back with us and join the hunting again. I was floored. I really got the sense that Sam's goal here was going to be, we're in, we're out, you're back to normal, your family is safe, you'll never see us again, like, I'm sorry we interrupted your perfect life, but go back. And the fact that he then turns around and goes, well, just come back with us, ditch them. It felt so incredibly out of character. Like, if anything, that's the thing I think left me the most sour taste this episode, was the combination of clearly something shady with Samuel, like, not even a second guess, him and the kids, something's messed up there. But Sam... And he even says it himself. And, and, like, I know, obviously, we're early in the season. There's probably a lot of mystery that I'll look back on this episode with and go, like, oh, I, that makes sense now. But even the moment where he comments about, like, Dean's willingness to run over and try to save them, even though, like, Sam was like, no, I knew they were done. And, like, Dean was like, no, you would have gone over. And Dean's like, Sam's like, no, no, I wouldn't have. That also feels out of his character for Sam. Like, we watched Sam last, you know, last season in that, uh, the pharmacy building where there were just, with the, the trucks and the drugs. And Cass even says, he, stat- he stood there and saved every single bloody person. That's Sam. Who is this character we're seeing today? Like, what did this year with Samuel do to him? Full disclosure, when it comes to Sam, I can't give my full thoughts because it would give away some plot points. Um, So I'm speaking specifically to the listeners here. If I mm, seem a little bit more shy uh, when it comes to talking about Sam, when I'm usually just babbling on about him, like, it's for that reason. But I completely agree. I remember watching this for the first time and being like, what in the name of hell is going on here? And in my mind, I was like, oh my God, yellow eyes. Is it like, because is Sam not Sam? Is like, is he possessed? Like what is going on? So in, I, I immediately felt like something was off with Sam. And, and we'll see as the season develops, like, how we feel about that, how our feelings kind of change uh, when it comes to Sam. If we're just coming back to, like, this episode and our theme, I think it also seems like Sam had a bit of a break from hunting with Dean specifically. Like, the way that Bobby greeted Dean was different from the way that Sam greeted Dean. And, like, it almost felt like Sam felt more detached, maybe. Like, maybe that had to do with the trauma of the cage. Maybe not. Like, we're not sure yet, right? Yeah, the fact that the cage is brought up and it's very much in a way where it's like, I don't want to talk about it, makes me feel like, obviously, something happened we're going to have to learn about later. But, like, at this point, I'm on the spectrum of Sam is just a changed person due to his experience to... It's still Lucifer in there. Like I am no, I am no way leaning one over the other. Uh, except that now I'm thinking Samuel is probably Lucifer or Azazel, one of the two. Oh, okay, interesting. I don't know. I'm just saying. I'm thinking of demons they could bring back, and the fact that Yellow Eyes was weirdly prominent in this episode. Before we end story time, can we just have a moment for like how phenomenally horrifying that dream sequence that Dean has to go through is with like. Lisa burning on the ceiling and Ben being given the blood and like having to relive that trauma from like that point of view. Like 
mm, if that isn't setting up something for later this season, I don't know what is. That dream, that vision is what makes Dean change his mind because he's he's basically breaking up with Lisa in the stairs at Bobby's, right? Like that is what's happening. Let's be very clear. And then he decides to stay because of that vision. It's more for Ben than for Lisa? Oh, no, I think it's for both. I think it's because he sees Lisa, like literally, it's literally like Lisa, like as a stand-in for Mary. And basically it's his chance to protect like the mother figure in his new family and the child figure, which he sees as Sam. So like, Ben is Sam and Lisa is Mary. And so this is now his chance of being able to give these two people the life that he wishes that Mary and Sam could have had. Talk about mommy issues. Well, so here's the thing, too. I sort of want to talk about Lisa just super briefly. Like, we don't have any notes here, but like, I feel like she also and she's very clear about that in like the moment that like Dean tries to break up with her. She's like, it was the best year of my life. And so she's, and I, you know, I'm not too sure how much of it is like romanticized because I'm sorry, but like when somebody is that distant with you, you can't possibly, again, there's no fulfillment, there's no this, but like what she notes is how good Dean was with Ben. And so again, like what seems to unite them the most is this child, this boy. And uh, she's like, I just wanted Ben to have somebody to look up to and you were that person. And so I think for her, the respite was being able to offer her son a male role model that she could be proud of. But I think it's a lot to put on Dean. But I think that's also what Lisa saw, though. I think as much as Lisa may have felt the disconnect with Dean and how distant he was, I think she saw the genuine joy in him being around Ben. And I think that's what made the year so good for her. It was not their relationship, but their relationship. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. Shall we head on over to Critical Time? This episode was written by Sarah Gamble, who is our new showrunner, as we know. Congratulations. It was directed by Phil Scritchia, and it originally aired on September 24th, 2010. That was 13 years ago. There was that moment, too, where I said it, where it's like, oh, we keep saying the show is like from 2005, but like it's been so, it's been five years since then. It's 2010. 2010 is still 13 years ago. 13 years ago, indeed. <laughs> so, Drew, what's in the Hunter's Journal this week? I had that dream again. The one where I'm some kind of monster killer, I guess. I drive around living out of my van and I guess like find weird things and kill them the dream's not always the same i find myself in different towns sometimes there's different people with me some recurring others i only ever see once i feel like they're trying to tell me something like it's a message i know you've already told me dreams just the brain working things out and don't have literal meanings but and i get it but ah, you're the professional but these ones just feel different from the classic you know teeth falling out or forgetting about a test dreams yeah, thanks, Doc. I'll keep the journaling going. Each morning. Mm -hmm. I'll see if it helps. I don't know how, but you're the expert. And things are going right, I guess. I wake up. I had that dream again. Living a normal life in a house, lawn, dog, working nine to five. Took adult ed classes in the evening. I think I was even dating somebody at the time, and I had a therapist. Still unsure if it's what I want or what I'm afraid of. 
Ooh, I like that. Oh my god, that actually works so well with my thoughts this week. Oh, do they? Do share. What are your thoughts? I'm ex- I love when this happens. So I actually want to talk about the cinematography in this episode, and particularly the colors and the color grading. Because I think that both of these like visual elements are actually being used to tell a part of the story. I'd like to start with the opening sequence where like Dean is going through the motions of his life while having flashback to his uh, hunting life. Even before that, like the scenes from Swan Song that precede that sequence, they're all in grayscale, right? Full grayscale, no color whatsoever. And like this, this scene from Swan Song is basically meant to be like Dean's memory that is coming back to him as he's in bed with Lisa one morning before the alarm even goes off. And that's presumably after having gone to bed way after her after drinking a couple of whiskeys. So we're like immediately transported to the present time. And immediately there's like this beautiful golden ray of sunshine, morning light on Dean's face. And then we will move on to the kitchen where there's like beautiful green leaves in the window. The scrambled eggs that he's cooking are like beautifully yellow. The salt container is blue. Like basically there's lots of colors and they're all very vivid and saturated. And this is when we start going back and forth between the present day that's presented with those vivid colors and Dean's flashbacks. And those are all in grayscale. And I think that the storytelling that's happening here is to basically show that Dean is really trying to live in his present situation, right? Like he's like, this is so much better. I am here. This is good. I should be enjoying this. In contrast, the past is in grayscale and those are the memories. But then at the very end of the episode, the very, very end of the episode, when he's in his driveway saying goodbye to Sam, the colors actually go from like super vivid and saturated while Sam's car is still in the shot. And then they go back to gray once the camera is zoomed in on Dean's face. And so what we're seeing here is basically Dean putting his life, or at least his life with Ben and Lisa, in his past. Ugh. Okay, first, beautiful analysis. Absolutely phenomenal. Oh my god, I love it. I realized I did not put much of a thought into this, and now that you've said it, it is just like magic how well that was put together, and that ending shot, and ugh. Like, because I saw the end, and it's like, kind of just like, it happens very quickly, but I was like, oh my god, like, that is amazing. This week, we have a message from Nell. And before we listen to it, we want to remind you to send us a three-minute voicemail. To respond to anything we've discussed today, you can use the recording app on your phone and just email us the recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. We also want to remind you that Drew and I are going to be answering the question, how do you think Samuel was brought back for our Roadhouse supporters on our Impala Talk? Stay to the very end of the episode to hear a very short clip. Hi, Carrying Wayward. It's Nell again. Um, I wanted to call in and talk a little bit about um, The Curious Case of Dean Winchester, which I just listened to, and as always, it was fantastic. Um, But I want to touch a little more heavily on Dean's pep talk to Bobby, Um, because at that moment in time, Bobby is really experiencing some heavy um, sort of suicidal ideation, and I think that's... 
I don't want to say that's like normal at that time, but he's he's experiencing a lot of really hard realities hitting him sort of. And so I think it's not uncommon for for that to happen. Um, but I want to think a little bit about this pep talk Dean gives him because Dean is somebody who throughout the show struggles heavily with suicidal ideation. And I feel like the pep talk he's giving to Bobby at this time is what Dean really needs someone to say to him. That like, it's not about him being useful as a hunter and it's not about what he can do for other people. It's about like the fact that people care about him and want him around. Um, And I just think that's a really sort of interesting thing to touch on because this this is a character it's not like Dean's perspective is going to really shift a ton after this like we're going to see throughout the rest of the show that he still struggle struggles really heavily with this um this issue this issue of being needed and of being useful to people um and so I just think it's it's a curious moment to have this happening in this in this episode um and I was also thinking a lot about the title here because the title of this episode is The Curious Case of Dean Winchester, and obviously that's a play on The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, um, in which which a man sort of ages backwards. Um, and so I was sort of wondering about your thoughts on why the title and why they chose Dean Winchester and not Bobby Singer or or somebody else, like why they focus that so heavily on Dean. And like, obviously, like there's the playing it up for the laughs part but I also feel like and this is going to be a little sad and depressing and I'm sorry because once again I'm back with my horrifying hot takes um Dean goes to play for Bobby's life and in doing so is sort of indirectly or maybe directly giving up many years of his own and he doesn't seem that upset about it um And so I think that's a really important thing to note here is that like, that in trading for Bobby's life, Dean is, is giving up his own. Um, And that's, I think, why, why they chose that title that like, this is Dean giving this beautiful pep talk and still effectively doing his best to get rid of himself at the same time. Um, so yeah, thanks. I'm sorry for ending on that. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, and I will talk to you all later. Bye. Oh, Nell, thank you for, honestly, I love this episode. It's already an episode that brings me such like chagrin because it's such a really sad episode. I think you really just hit the nail on the head there at the end. And as sad a realization as it is, Dean at this point, and I think even where we are now, sort of has this mentality of the only way out is through his life ending. And while he is not someone who's just going to throw his life away meaninglessly, when he has an opportunity to do something like this, to save somebody else, even if it costs him part of his life, he sees it as a worthwhile trade because he believes he is not as worthy as someone else to still be around. His life is only as good as it, as it is to be used to save others. And I think the love and respect that he has for Bobby, which is so emphasized by his final speech, as you point out, just goes to show why he feels like Bobby deserves it so much more than he does.
Not that he's right. Clearly his life is worth more, so everyone's life is worth something. And no one's life is more than someone else's. He doesn't see that yet, and I don't know when he will. But it's really in this moment that he sees an opportunity to use his life for something so great as to save Bobby. This is literally a line on the show, right? Like, at least my life can mean something. And then Bobby has to tell him, like, like it didn't mean anything before. And this happens, like, at the beginning of season three, I think, is when we're seeing this, or end of season two. Like, I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, now, again, with the horrifyingly sad hot takes. I mean, like, I'm living <laughs> for them, but, like, they're just so sad. <laughs> Every one of your voicemails is just like, what an amazing thought. Can I give you a hug? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. I mean, listen, like, I, I think I'm going to gravitate towards another side of the voicemail where you talk about Dean basically telling Bobby what he would need somebody else to tell him. And I just feel like Dean often projects in that way. Like... Uh, at the end of Sam Interrupted, what he tells Sam is what he needed to hear at that moment. Not what Sam needed to hear. I don't think Sam needed to hear what Dean told him at the end of Sam Interrupted. I think Dean needed to hear what Dean said to Sam at the end of Sam Interrupted, if that makes any sense. So I, I'm just, I'm not really surprised by this observation. I think it's completely accurate. And I'm, I'm like, oh yeah, that tracks with Dean's character. So thank you so much for pointing that out for us. Phenomenal voicemail. Thank you so much again. Drew, what is your reflection and call to action this week? I think this episode reminds us... It reminds me. Sorry. Very eye statement here. I need to take a break sometimes. And that isn't a bad thing. A break can be great for your mental health, your physical health. Uh, it can be a chance to reset, a chance to look at things and kind of reflect as we do here. But it's a double-edged sword. It's really easy to say you're taking a break when really all you're doing is procrastinating. So my call to action is to recognize when I need a break versus when I'm just procrastinating and calling it a break and letting myself think I'm getting away with something. You know, there's a, a really interesting thing that I heard not too long ago where it's like, if you think that if you're quote unquote taking a break, but you're still thinking about all of the things that you should be doing and that you're not doing, you're not really taking a break. So I feel that. Thanks for that reminder. Thank you. And you, my dear, what are you reflecting on this week? I feel like this episode is like the umpteenth time uh, this week that I've encountered something that reminds me that like, trauma fun fundamentally changes you and that in many ways like there's just no going back to being who you were before the trauma so i guess i'm feeling called to like consider maybe perhaps the concept of just accepting that <laughs> that's not an easy thing to do no it's not <laughs> at all no and like a million points to even consider it and make the conversation with yourself. Uh, that is incredible. I'm so proud of you. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Drew Shulman and myself, Marie Vigourou. Thank you to everyone who's supporting us on Patreon or Coffee, and an extra thank you to our bunker supporters, Katira, L, and Jeremiah Thomas. This week, we'd like to thank Nell for her message. 
You can find the link to all our social media and our merch store at carryingwayward.com. And don't forget to leave us a rating and a review wherever you listen to us. And if you like Carrying Wayward and you'd like to support us in our project to go through all 15 seasons of Supernatural, you can support us through Coffee or Patreon, and you can find those links at carryingwayward.com. Carry on our wayward friends. So I would like to know, how do you think Samuel was brought back? Because as far as we knew, Samuel was dead, right? So like, what's going on there? And he even specifies up there. Yeah. He was he was in heaven. He, he was, was taken out of heaven, just like Buffy. Yeah. Um oh, although well, I'm oh. gonna call bullshit. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Talk to me. Talk to me. Talk that to ain't me. Samuel. Ooh. Um, I think weirdly, and like I said, I mentioned in the episode there was a moment with the glare on my screen after they capture the shin, he kind of like looks the camera all menacingly. It felt very Azazel. Like, too much so. And the fact they brought his actor back uh, to haunt Dean in two separate, three separate occasions, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I, my instinct tells me whether this is Samuel just as a meat vessel or it's someone totally posing as him and it's like all an illusion. This is a demon. 